0: This past week, you didn't get a show from me because we were on location in Villajosa, Spain, not far from Benidorm, Spain. Okay, those in the south. It's not Ibiza; it's in the mainland. Some of you never went. I was with Victor Simonelli, Maurice Joshua, Eric Copper, and Andy Warper on called Vocal Booth Weekend there, and it was a wonderful experience seeing everybody come out. And we wound up doing a one-hour special live where some people asked some questions and we, we spoke to some of the people on that actually were on True House Stories. Maurice's story was amazing. Eric Copper talked about his life pre to Frankie Knuckles when he started working for David Morales and Frankie. And then as well, director's cut and having most number ones in the Billboard dance Chart of all time. And what we laughed about was when COVID came, Eric's number one with Diana Ross is still sitting in the number one position for two and a half years now. So, and Victor Simonelli's story was absolutely amazing. Hello, Mark, Tanya, hello, everybody coming in. And of course, we're going to start with, hey, welcome to True House Stories. I'm Lenny Fontana coming out of NYC. You know... New York has a huge tale in dance music, in house music, a fantastic tale. There was a time when we've had the biggest nightclubs and we set trends, okay, where we had clubs like, of course, I've always spoken about Paris Garage, Fun House, Palladium, Underground, but as well... 70s and 80s was a wonderful time, and it was also a period through the whole 1990s, which is a golden era as well, because that was another part to last of the big, big nightclubs in New York City. And why I say the last of the big clubs is because there was now this board of directors that bought sections of Manhattan and when I say board of directors, meaning real estate developers, and they would set up in areas where clubs were because they bought all the properties around it, which gave them a hell of a lot of power to push out clubs. And, of course, we had Rudy Giuliani. Those that know Giuliani was the mayor of New York at that time in the 90s, and his idea was to push everything to an area, called it like the red light district in the city, which would be the west side. We lost a lot of great DJs and producers due to COVID and stuff like that, of course. And not only that, but we also lost it to the change of the club scene. And as I've been going through my last few months, I've been reaching out to friends and people I revere in the business as true legends of our game who are still doing it. We've had Benny Soto in the past and you know, you know, he's still doing it with his big parties and still pushing the envelope with seven-eight sessions and all those parties he does. And now we're gonna turn to the electronic side of the business, which I revere this guy very much, very much, and I respect him because, like he said, off off camera, we all grew up around the same time with this house music thing. Came up together. We, you know. Some of us took the soulful part. Some of us took the more tribal part. Some of us took a smorgasbord of doing something that they love. They pick records they like to do. And also, they become very famous from doing that. You know, being able to have what I would say 12, 13-hour sets at clubs and take you on full journeys. And this guy's known for this. He's a record label of Transmit. He is traveling between New York and Florida and he's got a big story. He's gonna tell us tell you all about it. I like to bring up to true house stories today. My man, DJ Boris from NYC. Lenny,
1: Lenny, Lenny Fontana. What's well, up, my brother?
0: Love Boris. I remember that imposter me. we love Boris the party. Yes. There we go. So Boris, first of all. Thank God you're okay and you're here. I just want to ask you how you've been doing because we see all kinds of crazy pictures of you living a lifestyle that <laughs> some us dream about. But we we'll, we want to know, how are you? Doing
1: great, Lenny. Just, uh, you know, just back at it uh, at the clubs, uh, t- doing a whole bunch of different ventures, back and forth from M- Miami, New York, um, doing some... some Boat stuff, Uh, as you know, um, know, we're here, we're here, we're alive, we're breathing every day.
0: He's got a yacht, yacht. it's not just a boat, it's a yacht, baby, he's He's running a yacht, he's not running a boat, you know, everybody thinking like he's gonna throw fishing Fishing. rods, it's a
1: yacht, baby, yacht. I mean, I'm fortunate, I'm fortunate that I was able to... uh, Get something like that and get something going uh on a business level uh during COVID. ironically. So uh yeah, man, we you know we have a great story to tell. Um thanks
0: for having me. Uh it's always a pleasure. Right in. He's uh-huh. got he's got he's got he's getting his gloves ready. Ah. First question, and I'll let him take you from there. As everybody knows, I ask it the same way. How does music find you, Boris, as a young kid?
1: Um, so basically uh i grew up in brooklyn and uh during my time in the late 80s um I had most of my friends were older i was i was just kind of like getting into the, like you know music and the clubs i was actually like 15 years old and the first time i was actually uh taken to a nightclub was the tunnel uh, and that was like in '87, '88, and I remember it like it was yesterday. And uh, walking in, some of my friends took me there. We walked in, and, and um, the first DJ that I have that I ever ever heard play music didn't even know what a DJ was. Didn't know anything. Walked in, 15 year old kid into the tunnel, and at the top, tu- and, and at that time in '87, '88, the tunnel was, you know, this shit. Um, it was that Johnny Dino. Uh, so Johnny was that who, who I always tell him when we, when I see him, man, it's like you, you I feel like you're part of my history. So he we always laugh about it. And then later on, you know, we played at Crowbar together for many years. Um he was the resident. Uh, I was a resident there, and he was a resident in one of the side rooms. So we would always kind of like just laugh about it. So anyway, so that was my my start. And, and from there I was hooked. And during that era of clubs, you had so many amazing rooms. You had the tunnel, the world, say the robots. I mean, it was a whole, you know, Mars, Red Zone. I mean, it was just, and I was hooked. And that's what got me into the music and the nightlife. Uh, and I, and from there on in, I said to myself, "Wow, like I need to be involved in this world, like one way or another." And zit, you know, I just kind of just started going out pretty frequently. Um, I had many friends who actually worked in the nightlife back then. You know, they were older, so um, you know, hustlers, as we know. <laughs> wow. and- Yeah, keep it real. real. So, you know, um, and they would always, I would always tag along. I was always the young guy going with them to different parties, different events, different nightclubs. And that's how I became kind of hooked on the whole scene and the music. And from there on in, I mean, uh, you know, I would, it was, it was David at Red Zone. It was Junior at Sound Factory. It was Johnny at, you know, the Tunnel, uh, you know, Frankie at the World. I mean, it was, I mean, it was, that, that's really my history of like, I, I remember just going to, the, to to Red Zone and just just always fascinated with like David playing there. I always kind of like, you know, they had a room upstairs, like the VIP room. I don't know, I, did you ever go there? You went there, right, I'm, I'm assuming? Yeah, we used to have a room there, like a little VIP room, where you could just kind of sit down and overlook the whole balcony of the red zone. And and, and David used to play, and I just used to watch, and it was just like, wow! Like one day, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be a DJ. Like this is it. This is this is my calling. And sure enough, I turned 16 years old, and my parents asked me, "What do you want for your birthday?" And I was like. I want turntables and a mixer and speakers. And they were like, huh? Yeah, what? What is that? And I'll never forget. We went to Canal Street. Because <laughs> back then, that's where you would get the equipment. Yep. And we just, I just got two turntables, mixer, and some speakers. And uh, you know, just got into doing that. And uh for a couple of years, I really was like really practicing and just doing my thing. Of course, the neighbors hated me. Um, but, you know, and then I kind of hooked up with uh, the right people, right promoters at, at the right time. Um, and, in, and the rest is history. I, I, I became a resident of of a club called Tilt on Varick Street, Um, and, you know, the party was ran for about almost two years, and it was, you know, it was one of the, you know, one of the hottest, quote-unquote, parties at the time. Everybody was going there. As a matter of fact, that's how I met Mike Weiss. He was literally the first person I met in the music business, and he actually started up, he, because I remember I was the resident on Saturdays, and he used to do nervous parties on Fridays. So Mike and I met there and he, I remember, he just came and gave me a promo of a nervous record and that was it. Um, And I became a resident there from there on in, Um, you know, I just, I did the whole circuit. I mean,
0: Well, on- before I get to, cause, but what was the first, Opening for you, the, the first door opener to get you into in New York. Like what, what happened? because you mentioned
1: um I was doing mixtapes, and I was doing mixtapes and mixtapes and going out and going out. And that's one thing I always stress to people and upcoming guys during my time was always go out, always support, always network, always get always, always show your face, always get yourself out there, like out of sight, out of mind as we know um so one day at the limelight uh i was at the limelight on a wednesday uh and i I just ran into a promoter and we just started chatting at the bar and i was like hey listen you know here's my here's my mixtape if you you know if you're ever doing any events please i'd love to i'd love to play blah 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 whatever so sure enough maybe days later he, he he gave me a call and he was like hey listen i'm starting this new venue um I'm starting this new party called at, uh, at tilt it was at tilt um what's the name of the got the name of the the party that it was but anyway it was it was at tilt and he's like i'd love to i'd love to have you play i was like oh that would be great But this that the other thing mind you was 17 years old lenny wasn't even able to get in yet you know back then clubs were 21 and over <laughs> so um Basically, that's how that's how it began, like with 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 that. And he gave me a shot. This promoter gave me a shot, and we wound up working together for years upon years upon years. We did many events together. Where it was, you know, the Roxy, X, Ex- Supper Club, uh, uh, Sound Factory Bar. Uh, I mean, the list goes on.
0: Who was the promoter?
1: His name was Matthew, and then it was two actually, Matthew and Artie Arboletta.
0: Oh God, I remember Artie?
1: Yeah, you know Artie.
0: Yeah, of course. I was wondering if it was those, if it was Artie. Wow.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was those guys. Well, Matthew was the one who really gave me the first. Uh, he was the one who, who who gave me the call, and him and Artie were partners.
0: Right, because I remember later they partnered up. I think it was Joe Lodi. Was Joe, Mar- Joe Marcy. Joe Marcy, right. Yeah. God, yeah. You know, that's you. See, people don't understand that those days of of peddling those tapes and talking to those promoters and hoping they would listen and call you because you- they'd call you. I mean, you you. There was only house phones. You, you they weren't calling no, you. No social media and no phone. <laughs> you would <were> tax. <laughs> Text you They didn't even fax machines yet. Where do you faxing? I, mean, I, I think it was like beepers. <laughs> that's right. I talk about that all the time. Can I use yeah. your phone? Why? Yeah. I got a phone. I just got a phone call coming in on my beeper. Yes. Oh man, that's great. So yeah. you so interesting how you know, Tilt becomes the first club. Tilt is on Twenty Sixth Street, if I remember. No, before. it was oh. on Barrick Barrack Barrack Street. Downtown. Sorry. Right. Downtown. Right. Yep. Yeah. And then it
1: became. The Culture Club was like an '80s uh, '80s club. Later down the road, like way after.
0: So Jesus, yeah. bringing, I, bringing you back, Lenny? Yeah, well, that's that's why I got to remember cause I I always get tilt com- confused where Timmy did Shelter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always think that's the same club, and I forget that's the club that was actually down the street around the corner from where Garage was, on Barry. Oh, my God, so long ago. Yeah. How long did you stay at Tilt?
1: So I played. I was the resident there for almost two years. And then I remember we moved that party to, I think, I want to say it was Expo. And then, there's Sound, and then we went to Sound Factory Bar and then Supper Club.
0: Boris, when you say you're a resident DJ, does that mean you play two? No insulting part. I know what? that. Did you play only two hours? Explain this, everybody, what a resident, true resident DJ meant. I mean,
1: you know, back then, a resident DJ was basically there was no guest DJs, there was no openers, there was no closers. There's just one DJ, you know, getting paid two hundred bucks if you're <laughs> lucky. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, the DJ, what's a DJ? Oh, like, you, you tell them, oh, what, what do you do? I'm a DJ. Like, what, like weddings? Like, are you a wedding DJ? Yeah. Like, what, do you do? what do you mean a DJ? You know, so uh, you would just, you, you know, you, you would just start to finish, open to close. There was no, you know, and you would be the every week DJ of that party, you know? Um, so that's what it was. I was, played every week at the same venue, same night, same six hours, because it was 10 to 4 back then, and that was it. I mean, every Saturday night or every Friday night, and that was it. And that's how it was back then, you know? Like, whether it was me or Junior or David, whoever, you know? That's what the resident was, like, just part of the party. You are the party. Yeah. So, yep, that was it, man. That's... Now, in the
0: beginning part of your career, did you play dance music as we know it's electronic house music, or were you all over the place? Looking... So, when I started,
1: because I was into everything. Like, um, I mean, I, you know, getting back to the whole tunnel thing, like the first song that I heard when I walked into the tunnel was a rap song, Eric being Rakim, paid in full. That was literally the first song I heard in a nightclub, and I'll always remember it. So, back then, very few people were just playing dance music. Um, so, I actually got into it by playing everything. And I was known as the open format, so to speak, guy. So, I would play house, I'd play disco, I would play Latin, I'd play reggae, I'd play hip hop, I'd play this all over the place. And I did that for a while and 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 different promoters, whether it was for house music or for hip hop, they would hire me for that for those particular like you know, like for the for that particular party. Like, I mean, I did many nights where I played for like an urban hip-hop Latin crowd. You know, they would hire me just to come in and play like two hours of like hip-hop. Or then I would play Nels on a Wednesday and play underground house. So, you know, there was very few DJs who did that. Um, as a matter of fact, there wasn't many that I could remember. Not like that. that. Not like, like that. that. Like, cause oh. I remember, cause like I would, I would, you know, I would play as crazy as it sounds like a Gungy party. Remember him promoter? John Gong, Yeah. He, he, would, he would do all Latin events. I would, I, I, would, I would come and do like a set of hip-hop. And then the following night, night, I would I'd play at Nell's and I would play house music all night. So it was kind of like all over the place. But until I decided I'm like, you know what? Like my 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 I was always into like my my heart was always into the house thing. So I know, I was i remember that i remember that i was always as, as and and people used to like from all over used to hire me to play all sorts of music but i was always like you know what like house is my calling like i, I you know and like house is my thing and like tribal and house was you know was my thing like you know so i kind of like in, in like 95 i'm gonna say because i I, want, well, I was doing the whole open format thing for like from 91 to like 94 5 i just kind of just said you know what i'm just doing the house thing and that's it mm. from there on in you know that's what that's what i
0: my calling so then people don't understand this why are you getting they probably say why are you getting calls don't forget Boris is also becoming a very good player in the game in those days because he's playing different crowds it's like having a wonderful smorgasbord because he's got what we have called the drinking crowd. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I yeah. Boris because Boris can pull in the drinking crowd. Because the house people that he talks about on Wednesday nights that I would play for, they come to dance and it's a great crowd to play for, but they're not drinkers.
1: They're not drinkers.
0: And bars need to be covered. And when you bring Boris in, for example, for his night, he a promoter would feel more Comfortable with the fact that that crowd that follows Boris around the city of New York is going to cover that ten thousand dollar guarantee. Mm-hmm. Uh, those days, remember? Remember, it was like, and that was cheap five, seven thousand, ten thousand. Now it's even more to have a, a, a proper night going with a bar guarantee and everything else. Mm-hmm. And that's why a lot of promoters were very funny about who they hired because they knew that with him. I'm just say with him, I'm sorry, saying third part with you, Boris, they knew that they had a guaranteed bar drinking crowd, you know,
1: yeah, I mean that's that's how we you know that's part of the whole open format thing. that's how it what that's how it all started, you know I mean the, during that era, like ha, the house crowd per se, they weren't really big drinkers. It would just they come and dance, pay their entry fee, and that was it, you know, um. Whereas the open format people, you got all sorts of different crowds coming in, whether it's Latin, you know, whatever. Uh, so,
0: so, you know. There, so, so how does the name, as we know, DJ Boris, what's that moment in in that period of time which says to everyone, you are now a house DJ, and you're famous now like bang the marquee goes
1: oh, oh you mean like when i became kind of what so, so,
0: like all the inertia you know that moment everybody has that moment everything goes oh.
1: so i'm probably so uh you know i was doing the circuit for many years i was doing you know the Roxy's, the sound factory bars the the expos the yada whatever you know And 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 they knew me as you know Whatever, DJ, what good DJ, this, that, whatever. You know, a guy who who was on the scene. But the turning point for me was when I became the resident at Crowbar. There you go. Yep. So for me, I mean, it was, and to this day, and, you know, people have their rooms, the sound factories, the garages, the fun houses, whatever. For me, there was not a room like Crowbar. And then, I mean, it was the epitome of big room. I mean. It was big, that was a huge room. I mean, you know, we were doing 5,000 people there. Yeah, I mean, you had everybody there. And I became the resident, and that's how I kind of crossed, like, went to that, took that next step. I was the resident there for almost four years, three and a half years, and that's really what, like, kind of, took me to the next level in the DJ world because then I started getting booked everywhere, not just New York. I mean, from Europe to Japan, to all over the States, you know, and, and, and that's, that, that was the room that kind of like took me to the next level as it on a DJ. Cause I was just Boris, the local New York DJ playing the great parties Everybody coming out, loving to dance or whatever the party, myself, whatever it was. But crowbar is what got got me the the name and the recognition to do, you know, and, and my reputation. I mean, it's you know, it's listen to play for five thousand people, and mind you, Blenny, I was doing open to close the from at crowbar as well. And it, you know that was we were opening at eleven o'clock, and I was closing nine, ten, eleven o'clock the next day. And this is—it started off twice a month, and then I—I I, I started doing once a month. But you know, less is more, as you know. Yeah. So my nights became bigger
0: because people knew what they were coming to.
1: Correct. So you know. Yeah oh, let's go see him, you know, instead of seeing him more often, like on a twice-a-month basis, they they basically gave me a lot more money and just to do once a month.
0: Who was behind Crowbar at that time?
1: So you had a crew of, of cats. You had the whole New York crew, which was compiled of, of Tommy Marinelli, Rob Vinegar, uh, Bruce, and you had that crew. And then you had the whole Chicago crew, because Crowbar's from Chicago, then yep. they went to Miami, which was the Kenny and cows those were the guys but um so they kind of they were they were the the ones pretty much all like you know and, and as a matter of fact, I was playing um all I was doing the circuit the you know the aceterias and the discotheque, the small more smaller after I was uh type rooms and stuff like that and Kenny. Um, because when Crowbar opened, they just had one resident um, and and basically they needed to do guests. They needed to. And the resident that they had, he, he was he was not really he was a New York resident, but he wasn't like a guy who was really into the scene and scene so much, even though he was. But he wasn't like like in the New York scene. Per se, like myself or Danny or whoever, you know, junior at the time. So they needed that flavor at crowbar. Right. Um, and then Kenny, you know, I remember we, we we sat down, we had a meeting, and he was just like, baby, you know, because that's how he talks. He's like, baby, I need you to come to my club. And that was it, man. We we signed a deal. Uh, I started playing twice a month. Um, and that was it, you know, I became the resident there. And from there I went left there. Cause when I left there, Crowbo was kind of like on its out, you know, for various different reasons, not because of the room, but it was so political and so like, you know, internal beef amongst the owners that they basically was, was the downfall of that club. Like they just didn't get along one, like the New York guys didn't get along with the Chicago guys and they, and they just kind of went their own separate ways. And then I, you know, I just went and, and started working with Pasha, you know, I became a resident there for like eight years. And that also, you know, gave me world renowned recognition because Pasha is a big brand as as we know, you know, world brand. And from there on in, I, I started doing posh events, you know, in different pashas, And that was it. And that was with uh, Rob Fernandez, as we know. Yep. Uh, you know, me and Rob worked together for many, many years. Dear friend, he's like family. And then we, uh, you know, we did many, many memorable events together.
0: You know, like Junior had his Sound Factory and Junior Verse and all that. And Danny did Twilo and all, you know, his moments in New York and Rohoffer at Roxy. Peter a for Sure. And of course, these guys were getting all the A&R people coming around for remixing and, you know, set, bringing their records and pushing, hoping that they would be playing their records and no less becoming really big remixers. Was that something that was also happening to you as well at the same time, as this was all going on?
1: I mean, yeah, I mean, there was tons of people coming down, especially, you know, the Crowbars, all all industries. I mean, from, I mean, Crowbar and Pasha, like, I mean, because they were the two big rooms that were like, just legendary, memorable rooms at that era, in that era. at the height of like, clubs and music. Like, I-, I feel like that was like the golden era of music. Um, and clubs, because right. you have- And club scene in New York, for sure. Yeah, there, was, there was no no better like time for like, from the 2004 to like, you know, I would say what? To, to like the 2004, like the 10 year period where you had, Crowbar, Pasha, Limelight, uh, Roxy. This, I mean, it was just, you know, like it was. You you could go anywhere, and three, four thousand people. Limelight, like there would be three, four thousand people in in these rooms, and like, I mean, nowadays, to three, to, to do three, you know, those kind of numbers, you're lucky if you do that in one room. Right, you're lucky. Like, you're on eight. Yeah ones um so you had different industry people coming uh whether it was a puffy whether it was a you know athletes or celebrities or, or or people from the industry oh you know can you remix my record oh can you do this oh you know like you know and and, and breaking records was like you know was was a big thing like if you play a record for four or five thousand people and it's not out yet and they're like, oh my God, I have to have this record or who's the artist or or you know you know it was a, it was a whole different like different
0: different vibe different whole different different everything was well, that's that's what made all of the the thing about taking these yourself out of the club and now making you an international superstar from the remixing side like what happened to David Morales what happened to junior what, right? Baino's offers as well from these major labels to come in. Please search for part two of this podcast on the platform you're watching or listening to. And please do not forget to follow us.